0: triumphant work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Good morning. My name is George Davis, and my voice sounds a little bit deeper. I do have a head cold, so I am a walking testimony to Claritin D. That's what I would if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. We'll get there in a moment. But as you're turning there, let me ask you uh, how often have you heard how often have you heard these words? This is a limited time offer. Right? You've seen it in commercials, different kinds of advertising, maybe you. You've been in a sales situation and you've been told that this is a limited time offer. And the point of that phrase is what? The point of the phrase is to communicate a sense of urgency. Now, realize in some situations that may be no more than a sales pitch. Nonetheless, the reality is this. There are certain opportunities in life that come with a sense of urgency, and if you don't take action, the opportunity may pass you by. That's just the reality of life. That that can be true, for instance, financially. I remember a couple of years ago walking through the Charlotte Airport with one of our sons, who was in the process of relocating to uh, Arizona, and. As we are walking through the airport, he gets a call from his realtor. And the call goes something like this. Remember that condo you put a bid in on? Well, you were outbid. But the winning bid fell through. And they will now accept your offer. But if you want it, you've got to act now. And so in the time it took us to walk from Concourse B to Concourse E in the Charlotte Airport, my son was now the owner of a new condo. Maybe you've had that situation, that opportunity with a new job. You you know, there's this opportunity for you, but you've got to act now. Even that, because this can happen financially, vocationally, it can even happen to us physically. At some point, you may have a conversation with your doctor that goes something like this. You need to make some lifestyle choices and changes. And you need to make these changes now. Otherwise, you might not like the potential consequences. Now, these these are very different examples but they they really all illustrate the same thing and that is this there's certain opportunities in life that come with a sense of urgency and if you don't take action they will pass you by and just as that is true financially vocationally physically it can also be true spiritually and this morning, we're going to look at a particular passage where Paul challenges us to engage opportunities with a sense of urgency. Now, to show you what I mean, let me, let's just go back to what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. We've been talking about growing deeper and wider. This really is our theme for the upcoming season. And we've been, first of all, talking about the importance of growing deeper in our faith and what that can look like, and opportunities that you have to do that. Along those lines, it was great last week to know that uh, last Sunday evening we launched five new starter groups of people connecting and getting involved in community. So if you're part of one of those groups, let me just thank you for taking that step. Likewise, let me just remind you of an upcoming opportunity that actually starts this Thursday. We're starting kind of a 10-week environment called discover the gospel And, and maybe this is for you if you're kind of one of those people that would say you know I've started this journey of following Christ I kind of know what that is but I'm stuck or I feel like I've got all the puzzle pieces but I don't know how to put the pieces together so over these 10 weeks we're going to be talking about what exactly what exactly is the gospel and what does it look like for us to really embrace it as a way of life So we've been talking about, we've been talking about growing deeper, but even as we've encouraged you to grow deeper, we also want to encourage you to grow wider in living out our faith in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and sharing it with others. And that brings us to this passage that we're going to look at this morning. This is from Colossians chapter 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. (laughs) And here's that sense of urgency. Here's that, right? Here's the intentional way Paul says look, you've got opportunities, but if you don't take them, they will pass you by. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. One translation kind of. Uh, translates that middle phrase this way, take advantage of any opportunity that comes your way. Now, as you read this, it's important to put this in the broader context of the book because there's an interesting kind of phrase, there's an interesting term that is used here. And the first time this term is used, is it occurs in chapter 1. And let me just show you. And the term I'm talking about is is the idea of living a life, conducting your life. A more literal translation is walk. In the opening chapter, Colossians, Paul is praying for these people. And in the real sense, I think he's praying for us. He's praying, you know what? I want you to live a life that is walk in a particular way of life. That is worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And the idea of living a life worthy is I want you to live out who you truly are in Jesus Christ. And the term Paul uses here, it's not surprising because Paul comes from a Jewish background. And in Jewish literature, it it was common that you could kind of talk about life as a journey, right? We're all on a journey. And and when you think about how you are approaching life, your way of life, your behavior, your ethical framework, that's, that's how you're walking right? That's how you're walking. That's what your life looks like. Everybody's on a journey. And so Paul says, look, here's how I am praying that you will walk. Here's how I'm praying that your journey will look a certain way. I'm praying that you will live a life worthy, consistent with who you are as a follower of Jesus. Paul uses that term two more times in this letter in positive ways. The first occurs in chapter 2. This is the passage we looked at last week. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives, that is continue to walk in him. And as we saw last week, you know, what Paul is saying here is "I I want you to continue to grow deeper in your faith, rooted and built up in him, strengthened and overflowing in thankfulness. But then he uses the term one more time in a positive way. And that's in the passage that we just read, Colossians 4. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. That is, I want you to be wise in the way you walk. So putting all that together, putting those three texts together, notice what Paul is saying. You know what? I'm praying that you live a life that is consistent with your new identity as a follower of Jesus. I'm praying that you don't waste your life. I'm praying you don't simply go through the motions. I'm praying that you live it well. And what does that look like? It involves growing deeper in your relationship with God and being part of a community where other people are doing the same. But but this isn't to be done in an isolated, cloistered way because it also involves growing wider in our relationships with those who aren't Christians. So what does this look like? Well, we've already talked about growing deeper, so now let's come back to that passage in Colossians 4 and let's really examine what Paul is saying here. And what he is saying, his guidance, is really three things. First of all, he says, I want you to live wisely. Live wisely in the way you act toward outsiders. Live wisely in how you engage other people. Live wisely in how you relate and interact with those people who don't know Jesus. Just as he's prayed for their spiritual wisdom, now he says, I want you to live wisely. But what does that that mean? (laughs) What does that mean, live wisely in in how you engage outsiders? I think a a helpful statement kind of related to that in unpacking this is a statement by author Tim Keller, and here's kind of how he has described it. He he says, really, to live wisely involves three things. (laughs) It's like... He says, it means we are to be like other people, but we're also to be unlike other people, and therefore we're to be engaged with other people. So notice this, we will have an impact for the gospel if we are like those around us, yet profoundly different and unlike them at the same time, all the while remaining very visible and engaged. Now, that that may make you more confused. What do you mean we're like and unlike? Well, I mean, just think about it this way. I mean, in, in a variety of ways, we are very much like the people around us, right? We live in the same neighborhoods. We work in the same workplaces. Our kids go to the same schools. We enjoy the same restaurants, and we get involved in hobbies and activities and in in many ways, we, we are very much just very similar to the people around us. We even support the same sports teams, right? Our, of course, some of us actually support teams in other part of the country. <laughs> Who did win last week, by the way. So, but other than that, we're, you know, we're very much like the people around us. But even as we are like them, we're also called to be unlike. It's interesting when you study early church history, when you study the explosive growth of Christianity in the first four centuries. In key ways, Christians were startlingly different from their neighbors. And in some ways, I think that should be true today. For instance, I think as, as followers of Jesus. We we need to be known for our integrity, right? As it turns out, it can be easy for people to create a public persona, right? It can be easy for kind of people to curate a certain public image, but be very different in private. My guess is many of us, at some point, we've been hurt in a relationship like that, right? I thought this person was going to be a, a true friend, but it turned out not to be the case. I thought this person was going to be a great coworker, but they really stabbed me in the back or they, you know, they played the corporate political game in a way that I got hurt. I mean, we've seen people that kind of look one way on the outside, but are truly different on the inside. But remember, as followers of Jesus, we are we're on this journey of transformation. From the inside out. That's what we've been talking about, even as we've been talking about growing deeper. And among other things, when we're on that journey, it I think it should produce it should, it should produce integrity and authenticity. Now hear me clearly, that doesn't mean we get everything right, okay? For those of us who are parents, that doesn't mean that there aren't times we, we don't blow it, right? There aren't times that we blow it, that we mess up, and that we, man, sometimes even in public, we just kind of lose it. It doesn't mean that we're going to get everything right. But it does mean that our relationship with Christ should bring a wholeness, an integrating reality to our lives. Even so that in those moments where we do blow it, where we do mess up, we're willing, we're willing to just acknowledge it. We're willing to own it. We don't try to cover it up or hide behind a facade or blame other people, right? We're, we're people of integrity just a couple of other examples I think as Christians we should be known for our hospitality and generosity welcoming people into our homes being willing to use our resources for the benefit of others as Christians our lives Our lives are rooted in this transcendent storyline of what God is doing. They're rooted in this amazing storyline of God's work through Jesus Christ. And and you know what? That should affect how we handle things like hardship, disappointment, and failure. And I think over time, people, people should see that. So we're like, but we're also to be unlike. Now let's be honest. As it turns out, right, we're we're to be like, but we're also to be unlike. As it turns out, it is much easier to have one without the other. For instance, it is much easier (laughs) to just be like the people around us to just go with the flow, we just kind of fit in, wherever we're at, we fit in, you know, we're decent, responsible people, we're, we're just kind of fitting in, but the reality is people around us may have no clue that we're followers of Jesus because we, you know, we don't talk about that, we avoid deep conversations, we always keep things safe and peaceful and we, we just, we're just you know, other good people in our neighborhood and that's the extent of the story, we just fit right in or we can kind of just become unlike people, right? We're committed as followers of Jesus, but I'm just gonna kind of keep to myself. I'm involved in church and my community here and my friends here, and I'm just gonna, you know, I need to protect my life, my family, and so we kind of just get comfortable in a more cloistered environment. But to live wisely to live with both of these dynamics. Hey, we're like, there's so many ways we're like the people around us, but there's also something different about us. And we're not ashamed of that. And I think as we live with both of these dynamics in play, what that means is then we have the opportunity to, to engage, right? Like, unlike, and engaged. And meaningful relationships, experiences, conversations. And that really leads to the next thing that Paul says, right? Paul says, look, if you're going to live wisely, what that will mean will be, you're going to have opportunities to live out the message of Jesus Christ in word and deed. Therefore, (laughs) I want you to seize the opportunities. once again, this is where that theme of urgency comes in. Make the most of every opportunity. So, again, I think the flow of this passage is this be wise in how you act toward outsiders. And as you do that, you're going to have opportunity to invest in those relationships. Opportunities just to kind of live out the gospel and how you are for them and how you interact with them. It's an interesting phrase that Paul uses here. This terminology can be used in commercial context. And and so, you know, in those contexts, particularly a more, maybe a more literal translation is um, buy up or redeem. So you can almost translate this. Paul is saying, I want you to buy up the time. I want you to buy up the opportunities. I want you to redeem the opportunities that come your way. Because I was thinking about that this week. I, (laughs) I thought about a drawer in our kitchen. And you open the door, and you look down on the left, and you know what you see? A stack of gift cards <laughs> that we haven't gotten around to using. Do you have, have you, you ever had that experience? That you kinda, you just, there's this gift card or gift cards floating around in your house, and you've just never gotten around to using them. I wonder how much these companies make on unredeemed gift cards. And Paul is saying, look, don't don't let that happen. Don't let that happen to you relationally. So just, let's, let's personalize this for a moment. Think about your life right now. So what, What are the opportunities you have to invest in relationships? And I think maybe the challenge is just, I think maybe part of the challenge is just, you know, just at the speed of life that we live and just at the way we value kind of convenience and efficiency, which, you know, in some ways those are good things. Just the way we live life, it's so easy to really engage people transactionally rather than relationally. And what I mean by that, it's just so easy just to kind of get comfortable in interacting with people. We just, we just exchange information. Sometimes it's just the necessary information and that's the way we approach life, but, but we aren't necessarily investing in the relationship. We're transactional, but it's not really relational because it just, it only goes so far. The interaction only goes so deep. So. What are the opportunities you have to really invest relationally? I mean, think about your coworkers, right? they are people that are kind of regularly in your life. Everybody's got a story, and I'll come back to that in a moment, but, so how well do you know theirs? How can you be an agent of grace in that environment? And I, I realize in saying that, that for some of us, Those are pretty challenging environments. Nonetheless, when you think about the people you work with, for whom are you praying? And one of the interesting realities of following Jesus is I think when you're praying for people, you become more attuned in investing in relationships. This week I had a conversation with someone who was, you know, in the context of our conversation, she, poured, she shared part of her story, part of her own journey, and she, she talked about meeting Christians in college. And at that point, she wasn't particularly interested in Christianity. In fact, she said, I think if you had invited me to church, I just would have said no. But they became friends, and they ended up hanging out together, and over time, In the context of those relationships, she became a follower of Jesus. And it happened because people were willing to engage relationally, not simply transactionally. A couple other different opportunities, right? I mean, it's just a real, real simple thing be a regular. And by that I mean this use the same stores, the same gas stations. Go to the same places and just get to know the staff. See where those relationships might go. Find ways to connect in the community. Some of you are already doing that. Just, you know, how are you involved in different activities in our community from school activities to hobbies to sports leagues and recognize that these are opportunities to get to know other people. Of course, along those lines, get to know your neighbors. Maybe you are the one who takes the initiative just to get people together. I remember doing that in our neighborhood, and just one of the responses was, "We need to do this more often." Turns out people were open to that; it just took some initiative. Along those lines, um, as you think about ways to even invest in your own neighborhood. Let me remind you of a resource that we now have that may help. We've now got a community trailer that we've started using over the last couple of months. It's loaded with supplies for a block party, our community event, and all you have to do is check it out. And it's a way to get people together. And to to show you a little bit more about that, join me in watching this.
1: (laughs) It started with an idea sparked by a call to reach out beyond ourselves we knew it wouldn't be easy we knew it would be hard still we took action Victory, But it was too small to fit all our stuff, so we decided to make it bigger. We, we were following the highest call. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, love as we would love ourselves. Now we say, we will go. And we're calling on you. Join us as we take the trailer to community events or take it yourself. Use it in your backyard. Shake hands, make s'mores, watch movies, play games. This is about relationships, not efficiency. And it's time for you to get involved. Simply put, we're calling you to live with Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead others to do the same. just needs to be
0: bigger. <laughs> you know, we've already had some people in the church that have started to use that. It's just encouraging to hear stories about ways that, you know, just a certain, certain kinds of resources just can bring people together to build relationships, to invest relationally in the people around you. So if you would love to Use that trailer, you can check it out, just go to our website and you can find out more information. As we think about just investing in relationships, let me just mention one other opportunity and that's coming up on October 15th, right? We've been talking about this, our church beyond the walls, it's this Sunday where we go out into our community and just serve, just in love of Jesus Christ, we seek to serve people in very tangible and physical ways and So it really is a great opportunity to serve our community, but as we've been talking about it this year, we've also just really, I think, had a deepening burden. And It's not only an opportunity to kind of serve our community, but it's really really an opportunity also to invite others to join us. One person told me this week, you know, I've got this friend, she's got different disagreements with Christianity, but she would... She's really open to joining us on one of our projects and serving and wanted just a great opportunity just to experience kind of the work of Christ in the context of meeting other people who are followers of Jesus. I'm going to be doing a variety of projects serving different neighborhoods, schools, different community organizations like Love Inc., Hope Within, the Dream House, and you know, maybe maybe there's somebody in your life that this would just kind of be a great opportunity just in their own story to kind of invite them along hey we're going to be serving in this neighborhood or we're going to be serving this inner city opportunity would you would you be willing to join us so was there someone you can invite how can you seize this opportunity So Paul says this, look, I want you you to live wisely. I want you to seize the opportunities. And finally, he says this, and as you seize the opportunities, I want you to speak graciously. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now I realize, I think, For many of us, this this is the part of Paul's statement that is the most challenging. One person told me this week, you know what, this is where the fear kicks in. Actually, identifying as a Christian or speaking, speaking about Christianity, and if you know that fear, can I just encourage you to listen to Paul's words carefully? Let your conversation be always full of grace. There are different ways to interpret what Paul is saying here, but I I think a strong case can be made that this is more than simply be gracious, right? Be winsome. I think that's actually what he's saying when he says, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. But when he says, I want your conversation to be full of grace, I think he's going to something deeper than simply be gracious and kind. I think what he's actually saying is this. Let your words be channels of God's grace. Have you ever thought of that? That your words can actually be channels of God's grace? That is, you never fully know what's going on in another person's life or how God might be at work. So be open to the opportunities God gives you to communicate his grace to others. I realize in saying that, you know, our, our first thoughts can be yeah, but George, you don't know the people I know. Right? And you're right, I don't. And maybe you say, you know what? They're they're just not the religious type. They're not interested, and that may be true. But let me let me just say this. If, if this is kind of where you get stuck, maybe just to kind of <laughs> Spur your thinking for a little bit. I think, it's, I think it's helpful, at least for me, to realize that everyone has a gospel story. Now, I realize that sounds outlandish, right? Because you're, you're like, you know what? I know people that, that they're clearly not into Christianity and, or any kind of religion, I, but you say everybody's got a gospel story, but here's what I mean by that. Everyone is trying to make sense out of life and how life works. Think about the key moments, really, in the storyline of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, the storyline of Scripture. When you think about the key moments in the storyline of the Bible, we sometimes describe it this way First of all, we've, we've, been, we've been created by God. Right? You and I, whether we realize it or not, we've been created in God's image. We are image bearers. We've been created to be in relationship with him and to, in our work and our relationships to kind of live that out in the world that he created. But, of course, all, that, all of that became distorted by sin, by the fall, by our own brokenness, our sinfulness. But God didn't give up on his creation, and and the story of Jesus is the story of God's rescue plan. It's the story of redemption. It's the story that when we put our faith and trust in what Christ has done in our behalf, we now become part of what God is doing. And and ultimately, we do that with a recognition that one day, God will complete (laughs) the plan that he has started. One day, we will live in the new heavens and in the new earth. That's the storyline of scripture and the big storyline of the message of Jesus. And I realize a lot of people may have no interest in that, but in a real sense, they're dealing with the same issues. And let me show you. Because everybody, they have some sense of identity. I think everyone has some sense of maybe problems in their life and the world around them, complexities that they're trying to work through, and they're seeking a solution. And they also have some ultimate hope about how life works and how this will flow and what they can look forward to. So for instance, maybe my sense of identity is really rooted in what I do, kind of my job. I think that's true, particularly for a lot of Americans. This is just part of our culture. We kind of our identity can be rooted in kind of what we do and the and the problem the complexity is you know what i'm in a i'm in a tight market or i'm in a i'm in a competitive environment and to succeed i've got to keep moving forward otherwise I'll get behind. And so the the redemption, the solution, is just always take next steps, always work harder, outdo the other people with the hope that, well, maybe one day if I do this really well, I can look forward to a good retirement or my kids will thrive, you know. And so everyone has a story. Even the people that seem so irreligious around you actually have some story about how they are trying to make life work. So do you know their story? What makes them happy? What are their major struggles and battles? What do they think will make life better? What are their hopes and dreams? And I think as we take time to engage people relationally, not just transactionally, We're going to have opportunities just to hear their story and pay attention to how they're thinking. And with that, I think we also have opportunities to share our story in the good news of Jesus. So for instance, let's just think about where we're at culturally right now. Right? We're getting ready for an election year, and frankly, we're getting ready for an election that, according to polls, most people aren't particularly excited about. Okay? Can we acknowledge that? So I think for some of us, we're going to find ourselves in conversations going throughout the next year where, you know, people are, you know, you're, you're going you're to know some people that we're just, we're just frustrated with the whole system. We're just frustrated <laughs> kind of with the choices that we have. And, you know, you'll find yourself you will at times, I think, find yourself in, in conversations with people who are just really entirely frustrated about what's going on. And I get it. In many ways, I share the frustration. And in the midst of that, why not just ask? So is anything giving you hope these days? And just listen to where that goes. And we kind of enter into their story, but hopefully, in entering into their story, we can bring part of our story along the way. You know, what really gives you hope? Now, I realize this can be odd because so often we are we're not comfortable talking at kind of deeper levels. We're so comfortable kind of just interacting transactionally that when somebody drops a question like that, it can feel different. It may be awkward. He's like, oh, i never think about that. We'll just kind of start moving in that direction. The new question that I'm going to start asking people at my gym is this, hey, what's encouraging you today? And I just, there's some people I just want to, I'm really curious what they'll say because I want to learn more about their story. And as we do that, I think you're going to have opportunities to identify as a follower of Jesus and to share the message of the ultimate good news. So as you think about what Paul is doing in Colossians, maybe I can summarize it this way. As you read the book in its entirety, he, in so many ways, highlights the work of Jesus Christ and the wonder of what Christ is doing and what Christ has done for us. And in doing so, he invites us to go deeper in our relationship, but not only deeper, also wider. And I think it's just Paul's way of saying Don't you understand that the God who cares deeply about you also cares deeply about the people around you? And so he's saying, look, I want you to grab hold of the opportunities that are at work in your life right now. I want you to be a part of what God is doing. Don't don't let that pass you by. I want your life to be an outward expression in word and deed of the reality of God's grace. And I want you to understand this with a sense of urgency so you realize those opportunities aren't going to be around forever if you choose not to engage them. At our recent fountain, one of one of the members of our church shared this story and she agreed to let me just share part of it with you. She and her husband were preparing for their 50th class reunion recently. They really just committed to praying for those conversations. They wanted to be encouragement to Christians there, but also just plant seeds in the lives of other people. And at the reunion, they connected with a friend. And in kind of reconnecting with this friend, they found out that his sister Susie, who's currently in England, was at that moment on a vent with COVID in very serious condition in a British hospital. So they prayed with him and and they, they just connected with other people in their lives, asking them to pray as well. And then that night, this person in our church just awoke, just burdened in this situation. And she prayed specifically that God would fill that hospital room with his spirit and let Susie know that she was not alone. And the next morning, she received a text message from Susie saying that, you know, she, she, hey, she was now recovering, and she, she would soon be discharged. And they continued to message back and forth, and in the messages going back and forth, Susie described a mystery guest that evening. And she really didn't have words to describe it. She says, I I cannot tell you that I saw anyone, but I know I wasn't alone. what she was experiencing was the work of God's Spirit. And this led to further conversation about who God is and the work of the Spirit. And it's going to lead to further conversation. Hopefully that Susie, (coughs) as she comes back to the States, is going to have the opportunity to connect with the church and find out more about who Jesus is. You know, I hear a story like that. I just think, I want my life to be part of that. I want my life to be part of what God is doing. I want my life to reflect his heart for people. I want my life to exude the outworking of God's grace. So God is inviting us into this way of life. <coughs> Will we live this way? To make this more concrete, let me ask you this question. Let's just be really specific.